Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right, all right. Good morning to all you Cafe Bitcoiners. Good morning, Mickey, Dom Bay, Nico. Good morning, Jacob. Decode. Good morning. Joe Carlosari and all the rest of you Cafe Bitcoiners. Yo! What's up, Alex? What's up, Alex? Just wanted to drop in here and, uh, and uh, you know, this... Uh, this chase ban in the UK. Um, can't say I'm surprised that Chase Bank in the UK has blocked, uh, you know, Bitcoin purchases and, and payments. Um, I think is a continuation of the trend uh, that we saw with uh, their reaction against Russell Brand. Um, but I mean, they don't call it the separation of money and state for no reason. The way that you frame it, Alex, is get on the mission. Uh, the way that Corey phrases it is uh, let's win the race to avoid the war. The way I phrase it is Bitcoin or slavery. And I think as, as time escal- as time continues to, to go by, I think uh, the battle lines, so to speak, are a little bit obfuscated right now. But I think there will come a time where people are going to have to pick and choose between state money, state-approved information sources, and uh, Bitcoin and independent media. And I think that time is coming a lot faster than people realize um, because uh, I, I just see this as a, just another major escalation heading to uh, uh, an inevitable uh, clash, in, in my personal opinion. Yeah, we've, uh, we've seen a lot of stuff like that from banks over in Europe, specifically the UK. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, well, I don't know about a lot. My clients I've seen get from the UK have wires blocked when they're trying to wire to Swan. Um, from Depends on the bank. Not all of them are doing this, but uh, more and more of them are. And uh, this is not a regulatory thing. <clears throat> this is a policy thing that I think they're doing. But interestingly enough, you know, Operation Choke Point was not a regulatory thing either. There was no laws passed, uh, et cetera, <clears throat> and there was no regulations on the books. It was basically a it was a bullying type enforcement. We basically said, you're going to do these things or we're going to flood your offices with about 2,000 regulators that that's a high number. I'm I'm exaggerating. But there, we're going to flood your offices. You're not going to be able to do business because we're just going to shut you down, basically. And we're going to 
while your people are trying to work, we're basically going to sit in their lap and look at their files and yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very difficult to operate. If you're a financial institution and you have a whole, an army of regulators crawling around your offices, that's uh, <laughs> it's not the ideal work environment. Yeah, 100%. I, it, it's... Um... It's a is a it's a troubling trend. I do agree with you. I think it's like a it's a bullying function, like it's a forcing function. Um, but I mean uh, that just tells me that uh, that we're winning. That tells me that you know um, the powers that be, the uh, you know the privileged elite that have the godlike power of creating money for free that everyone has everyone else has to work for. They don't like competition. And I don't blame them for not liking the competition because they want to force people to use the money that steals from them versus Bitcoin uh, just works on mere incentives alone. And I think if people had a choice between a deflationary currency that protects your purchasing power, censorship resistant versus a inflationary currency that uh, that they say trust. Trust us, bro, with the CBDCs. We won't censor you. Um, you could trust us with your privacy. It's funny when they say that because um, <laughs> if they can't even trust you with information, like if, if, if you see that there is a letter that the UK Parliament sent Russell Brand, was an independent content creator that is going against the status quo. And um, basically they sent a letter to Rumble asking Rumble to demonetize him, which I have never seen that in my entire life. Um, and these are the same governments that are, you know, uh, to use Christine Lagarde's own words, closing off the escape valves. And not only that, um, they, they want you to trust them with CBDCs. And they said, Look, we're, we're going to respect your privacy. We're not going to use this against against you. Like, forgive me for for not believing them, you know, like, I just don't believe what they have to say at this point. Um, anyways, that's my take on that. Yeah. Anybody else? I think there um, is sort of a benefit to this, though, is that it's it's sort of accelerationist, where the more you know, international governments and businesses become transparently fascist, the more people are going to sort of catch on and wake up because it's it's sort of like getting too blatant to miss at this point yeah but the the flip side of that mickey is that you're assuming that um like there are a lot of people who like it right this is the really weird part is that uh most normal people in my opinion they don't like being dominated they don't like being stepped on they don't like being controlled but i have learned recently that there is a subset of humanity that actually likes that they like it and they want they like rules they like rules for themselves and they like rules for you and they want you to follow the rules and they want enforcers of the rules and uh it's it's the i call them the frightened people they like all of these guardrails around everything, you know, and, and that's why it encourages this society where we have regulations for everything. You basically need a license from the government to wipe your butt after going to the bathroom nowadays. 
one intransigent minority against another. We're going to win, Alex. Well, they're not. I don't think those people are an intransigent minority. I think that they're just cowards. They're scared. They're frightened people. And uh, I think fear will push the. the it, uh, so, an intransigent minority is going to stand on certain values and not move, no matter what. Like, it's the whole I will die on this hill concept. Like, these are my values, and you can kill me, but I'm not changing my values. Right. Those people choose their values based upon what they're most afraid of today. Like, you know, next week or next month or next year, their values can completely change based upon how frightened they are, whatever it is the government's scaring them with. I think less people fall into that category. And I, I like the sentiments of the gentleman saying, oh, you know, people will, will see and they'll want to do something. I think most, most people fall somewhere in between there. They're not, they're not afraid and they don't want the ruler, but they're complacent and comfortable. And so as it moves slowly, I feel like it's similar to what we saw during Corona. A lot of the people who were vaxxing and masking didn't believe in it and didn't want to. They were just complying with the herd because it was easy to go along. I think that's right. It's probably more like bell curve shaped, right? You probably got, I don't know what the percentages are. This is all bro science at this point, we're guessing. But I don't know, probably something like 70% of the population is there in the middle. And then you've got a group of people who are on the far opposite of that, who are (laughs) maybe it's like me, you know, calling these knuckleheads lizards. And then you have the other side where they're, they're frightened people. Decode, good morning. What's up? Uh, what up? So, I had a question, kind of, it, it's a, about the pissing match that is uh, the government shutdown. Um, who does it affect if not, if only, uh, well, so I see it affecting services the most. Um, thoughts on that? If you could hear me. Yeah, we hear you loud and clear. Go ahead, Mickey. Yeah, so the government shutdown affects essentially all civilian employees in the government unless they're deemed essential. And so basically pay will stop for all civilians. Uh, Military keeps getting paid. And then a lot of civilians that are deemed essential will have to continue to work. Um, But they'll just accrue essentially unpaid um, pay, I guess. Um, so there's a lot of things like travel stops. Everyone in the military has to sort of pack up and go home if they're on a trip. Um, a lot of national things. So they'll close like national parks and monuments and stuff like that. But generally speaking, the average human will probably never notice. Okay, so why why is it affecting the civilian part of the government instead of the actual politicians sticking around with everybody? You you know what I'm getting at, right? Like, um, are they just holding regular people hostage, basically? It's just brinksmanship, man. It's it's just negotiation tactic. I don't. I don't know if I understand your question fully. No, I think you answered it. I, I don't even know how to 
fully articulate my questions trying to get it out. I mean, the government shuts down with relative frequency, and you probably haven't noticed. So I, I don't think it's going to affect your life. Hey, but Mick, isn't it? Um, don't doesn't the military get deferred pay on uh, uh, a shutdown because of uh, all the payment processing and stuff shuts down at the federal level? So they get paid, but later, like like after things get ramped up again. No, no, military keeps getting paid. Um, I, I've been in uh, for for. I don't know, about a decade, and I've never missed a paycheck because of a government shutdown. Okay, um, I'll jump to another topic real quick because I'm kind of on limited time at work. Um, so Ackman says uh, bond, bond yields will rise. What are you guys thinking on that? Macro, 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 macro. Interest on the debt is a uh, what do you call it? It's like mandatory expense. I don't, I don't think the phrasing is exactly correct, but there's, there's sort of mandatory like must pay expenses that'll keep getting paid out even through a government shutdown. So the bond bond yields might rise because people are selling off because they're afraid, but. I mean, the, the interest on the debt is going to continue to get paid until they hit the the debt ceiling again. I think people are just tired of it. It's a circus. Nobody takes it seriously anymore. It's basically political theater at this point, in my opinion. They're never going to stop raising it. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I mean, I don't know. I'd love to hear like Joe's take on on impact of a shutdown, but but with the fragility of everything right now, I feel like it's just another WWF, um, you know, spectacle that that's going to be avoided. And and I always like want to look like what else is going on right now when you start seeing the government shutdown headlines just come, you know, from everywhere. Um, it's always a good time to look at other things happening. Okay. What? What? Well, another thing I saw today. Um. So I guess the SEC and they passed this in twenty sixteen, but now it's coming to fruition. The SEC is tracking and tracing trades and logging it with social security numbers and sharing it with three thousand agencies. Wait, they're logging what? Sorry, I missed that. You're a little... Uh, trades, stock trades, probably crypto trades, and they're um, linking it with social security numbers and then sharing it with uh, 3,000 agencies. Yeah, if you got a link to that, I'd like to see it. I will I will send you a screenshot because uh, I was looking at a video and I screenshot it real quick. But I think it has the title of the article on it. All right, cool. By the way, uh, you were listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. This is episode 442. Our mission for this show is to provide signal and a sea of noise, teach the billions of people on this planet why there's hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. Some of these topics are somewhat bleak, but at the end of the day, 
I mean, this is, you hear people say kind of tongue in cheek, Bitcoin fixes this or Bitcoin, you know, fixes everything generally. Uh, you got to dig into it a little bit to understand why someone might say something like that. And um, there was a thread written by a Bitcoiner talking about this that we might cover a little bit later. But personally, I think Bitcoin's hope, it was, it's created a, a feeling of hope in me anyway. I was a pretty... We'll put it this way. I was a gold bug for almost 14 years, so that's depressing as hell. So, um, yeah, but besides that, if you rewind the clock a couple of years ago, I was pretty, I mean, it was pretty, I thought it was pretty bleak. I was thinking the human race is pretty screwed. And then I, then I started digging into what Bitcoin is, and it was very helpful. Um, right. Today, we're going to be talking more about one of the largest banks in the world is now climbing, climbing Mount Stupid. We'll cover that in a minute. We've got some lizard report info for you. And then also, uh, again, why one Bitcoiner thinks Bitcoin is good for humanity. Later today, we've got John Dennehy from Me Premier Bitcoin coming on in the second hour. So I have a question for those of you who are following maybe what's going on. What the hell is going on with BitBoy? So I actually... That was another thing I wanted to talk about. And um, I, I watched the full 37-minute stream. And he's either off his rocker or what he's saying is true. And if it's true, it's pretty crazy because it involves uh, the mafia. Uh, he's talking about NFL games being rigged. Uh, hits being put on his family. Uh, Thorson, <laughs> like if he say what he's saying is true, like I hope he gets into witness protection. You know, like he he dropped names. Okay, let's talk about probabilities for a second. What 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 does anybody think the probability that that stuff is true? Slim I to mean, none. Yes, yeah, slim probability. Maybe maybe there's some truth um, mixed in there with some inaccuracies. This is very much reminding. Do you remember the, the the one of the last scenes in Goodfellas where Ray Liotta's running away from the helicopter and he's like, he's looking up like, man, this helicopter's after me and all this, you know, like very, uh, I'm getting a lot of Goodfellas end scene vibes from a lot of the videos. Yeah, only like lots of cocaine mixed in there. Yeah, well, so he, what he basically did, from my understanding, is raised 200000 in uh, donations, um, probably got a bag from Zelensky of uh, the good stuff, picked up his mistress, and then tried to steal his Lambo back with a gun. Okay. You know, the thing, the thing that, one of the things that's, that's tough is, regardless of what's going on now, I mean, we know... Uh, BitBoy reached out to a lot of people in the mainstream, and for some of those people, it was their first exposure. But, like, obviously, with everything going on, it's just more swaths of people who are going to write, you know, Bitcoin and crypto off. There are going to be some people that write that off for a long time uh, due to what's going on, without a doubt. Some, well, some it's, like, it's like all this really high-profile shit that, that turns out to be basically gigantic scams or rugs or whatever and uh like ftx etc 
And is this like cyclical? Like, <laughs> look back into your book of of the ages. Is this is this normal in Bitcoin? These cycles. Well, there's there's no shortage of of scammers, as y'all have seen in this cycle alone, and it's going to continue. I mean, next cycle there's going to be more of these. The problem is, uh, some of these have uh, been parading as Bitcoiners in this cycle, which was kind of a new dynamic that I saw. Uh, we've got a few of those, and uh, but you know they're shitcoiners at their core. Uh, the other ones that are like Richard Hart's and the and and you know the Bitboys. I mean they've at some point in your journey as like a shitcoiner crypto influencer, you make that decision where you're just gonna like go all in. And those guys, you know, once they make that choice, they no longer care about being hated. They know, I mean, they feed on it. It gives them even more followers. Like they no longer care about being busted in the scams and all that. I mean, it I, it's going to continue. It's really wild. Like we live in a really weird, I, I mean, I feel like even these types of behaviors are cyclical. You know, that I don't know how many of you have read The Fourth Turning and subscribed to these ideas that like every four generations, like you have a shifting type of people change, like the, the culture changes, like, you know. The, I mean, just look at the U.S., the morality of the United States of America based, I mean, if you were to run the clock 50 years, it, it, it has changed quite a bit. And it's it's pretty bizarre to watch. Yeah, uh, recruiting numbers are down, and I heard also today that uh, the junior recruits, uh, there's a malnourishment issue, which isn't going to help with uh, recruiting numbers. All right. M moving on here. Speaking of gigantic rugs and shitcoinery and learning the hard way. So Citibank apparently has launched, launched its own shitcoin. Here's a tweet from Robert Kiyosaki. He goes, bye-bye, Bitcoin and U.S. dollar, question mark. Citibank announced today it is offering bank blockchain technology to turn institutional savings into... Get this. Citibank tokens, <laughs> which can be used for instantaneous 24-7 cross-border transactions. Oh my God. Bitcoin sucks. Use our centralized copy of Bitcoin. I saw that and I was like, damn, BlackRock got a hold of Rich Dad? Um, damn. It's over. It's, you know, it's, sometimes... It's, it's, I was going to say, it's, it's, worth, it's worth stating that Robert Kiyosaki has come out it publicly and stated that he likes Bitcoin, so I wouldn't necessarily take that post as him just, you know, shitting on it or something. He was engagement farming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I'm, I'm, it's not necessarily endorsement. Sometimes he says stuff that doesn't even make any sense because... Well, that's because he's old, right? Yeah, I think some of it might be because of that. Like, I don't even know, like, a guy like Robert Kiyosaki if he really understands the difference between Bitcoin and crypto. I'm not sure I've ever heard him talk about it in enough detail to know that he knows the difference. Yeah, I don't know that he knows the difference, but he definitely only co-signs Bitcoin. 
tough morning of some of some fud heavy uh headlines maybe that etf is coming sooner than we think i don't think citibank is fud i think it's it's uh that is a marker to me i actually think it's positive i mean we were talking about this we have talked about this before and and by positive what i mean by that is almost everybody climbs mount stupid like almost everybody thinks uh, you know, either Bitcoin isn't a thing or the government's going to shut it down or it's a Ponzi, it'll never catch on, but nobody uses it, blah, 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 blah. There's a, you know, everybody has those thoughts and, and many people do their shit coining. They have their, their shit coining time. There's a season where they go through their shit coinery. And like, to me, like we've said this before on this show, like, there's going to come a time where the largest financial institutions in the world are climbing Mount Stupid and they're going to go through their shit coiner phase. And then it'll be countries that are doing the same. I mean, look at the CBD. To me, CBDCs are shit coin. They're all there. Why are they doing that? And why? I mean, you understand like Bitcoin has like opened the eyes of a lot of people. And even though they deny it and they're like poo poo, um, you know, the 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 madam lizards of the world are like this will never be a thing uh and then you know over years that that story starts to shift to oh my gosh we have to uh seal off the exits <laughs> and then you know you now you see big institutions like citibank making their own shit coin yeah i can see that the citibank isn't as much but some of the other stuff did you also see this one, not to change from Citibank, but the Forbes also put out this uh, leaked memo from Biden's office, executive order. Have you guys seen that one yet? Um, I have Mitchell. not. Also, what is it? It's just saying that like Biden's going to, um, there, there, there's stuff coming out in an AI executive order that could affect Bitcoin and crypto. Uh, and it, and it kind of mentions like, uh, things regarding like reporting energy intensive any any energy intensive technology and reporting that and um, bitcoin being included in that give me an eye roll emoji i'll spam the shit out of it okay so question Let, let's game theory this out a minute how are they going to measure that like let's, let's just think of think through the scenario how do they measure it they're going to measure it at the meter, probably, right? So what what happens there? Do you guys think anything will happen with the large public mining companies? Let's start there. Well, just think about like how much they would have to do to build out the infrastructure and or the manpower in order to like both track and audit that information. <laughs> this is not happening. This is ridiculous. They thought they thought that in increasing the IRS workforce or cohort by eighty thousand individuals is going to help them out. Like the, tracking this well, kind of information for like a slew of industries, not just AI or Bitcoin, is going to be a battle that is not worth their time or effort. Okay, but on a long arc, on a long arc, uh, you could automate a lot of that stuff, right? You could automate um, anomalous meter readings. Can you not? 
I mean, maybe not every meter is equipped to do that today, but they could say, okay, well, over the next decade, we're going to phase all these meters out and you're required to install these, all these new ones. Oh, how do you define anomalous meter readings? Cause then you'd have to, you'd have to mm-hmm. like the, the data would have to be checked against like weather conditions of the area, all sorts of other events. No, 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 no. It wouldn't be that hard. You, you, you have, let's say you have, let's call it a hundred houses in a neighborhood right? And you've got all these houses that are using a certain amount of kilowatt hours a day. And then you have this other one over here. That's like fucking double that or whatever it is. Triple it. I mean, that's anomalous. How are they going to pay for it? Taxpayer dollars? Uh, how do they pay for anything now? Yeah. I mean, like I, that, that question, like the taxpayer dollars thing, I think it's so, it's so doesn't even matter anymore. Like, it's just me, and maybe I'm being a, a little bit doomer gloomer about it, but it's like, why do does anybody even fucking pay taxes anymore? They just print whatever they need anyway. Well, like, that's, what? That's why I, I don't think, understand that. Doesn't why isn't anybody asking that question right now? That's huh? why I actually disagree, the Alex. There's there's been a there's been a lot of people, particularly on the more left leaning side of the political spectrum that have started getting sick of the bullshit with regards to how much money is in particular going over to Ukraine. And so like when, like when you add in another ridiculous metric, like measuring the moral, like the moralized energy consumption of an industry or multiple industries, I don't think a whole lot of people are going to continue to buy into that bullshit. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. uh, I watched the big short last night and it hit different. This time, last time I've seen it was four or five years ago. It's a little different now. Deep goat out. I think they have to keep the uh, like taxes going just because they have to still have quote unquote demand for the dollar. And that's really the only reason that like taxes exist is to create like you have to pay this debt with this asset. And so I think for that reason, they have to keep it going. Just to yeah, create the artificial fair. idea that we need this. As soon as they get rid of that, well, they can print this thing, but nobody wants it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we've seen as far as Bitcoin, looking back to the, y'all remember the Dame tax, the executive branch, the Democratic Party working through the executive branch has shown that they're willing to use, um, you know, Bitcoin and crypto as a whole as collateral uh, and like issue a lot of these these things that, that maybe you wouldn't always see from the executive office. And like Mickey said, like it's all brinkmanship. It's all negotiating chips. Take this off the table, put this on the table. But but I've found and I don't know about y'all that the most like egregious lately um, kind of energy attacks on Bitcoin have all come from the executive office, which means you know, it's all it's all for dem driven. Or I mean, that's an assumption, right? I don't really know for sure what uh the old doddering guy is what his motives are. But I, I mean if you look at the arc of history, <laughs> if you if you look at hit the, the the actions, um I don't I don't believe that guy's good for America. I, I think he's doing what's in, in his own best interest, maybe. And that's a guess, but I'm not sure he's good for America. Which guy? The old dude. 
the guy that bumps into flags and shakes the wrong people's oh. hands and falls over as he's leaving the stage. That guy. Yeah, but like when saying if he's good for that's like saying like I don't know if my coffee table is good for America. It's just there, you know what I mean? Like it's not doing anything. Mm. Yeah, I suppose that's fair, but he still signs things, right? Yeah, that's I mean true. the office. The office has a an impact, right? Like he can sign things that that create an impact. For sure, the office, yeah, and, and and that's where there's a lot of interesting stuff that comes out of that office. With this, you know, I'm going to look more at this Forbes article, but um, probably just a lot more negotiating chips. All right, back to the game theory part, though, because there are, for anybody who's new listening to this show, they've heard us talk about this, and they're like, oh, no, they can stop Bitcoin by doing this meter thing and doing the energy thing and saying you're using too much. Okay, Bitcoiners, what happens if they do that in the United States of America? They start dictating other energy more uh, other moralizations of energy consumption elsewhere. That's that's really probably the biggest threat. Yeah, what happens yeah. is because there's an incentive, right? It, it starts getting mined in other countries. That's what happens. Yeah, we move. Yeah, the the hash rate just moves, right? And this is not theoretical, by the way. We have. We have uh, evidence of this histor happening historically. At one point, I think China was something close to 50% of the global hash rate. And then China came out and banned it. And that disappeared overnight and it just moved. By the way, a lot of that's come back online since then, but it just moved. Yeah, it looks like the Chinese courts, too, are starting to sort of backpedal on their Bitcoin ban already. So, I mean, if China can't do it for more than, what, two years, you know, what, what hope does, does a Western nation have, you know, with like some semblance of like individual rights and freedoms? How many times has China banned Bitcoin? We should make it a drinking game. Right. 17. It's a lot. 17. Is it 17? I don't know. It's, 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 it's in close to that. It is definitely in the teens. They have especially if you include India. Has India banned it too? Oh yeah, they were yeah. banning it back how, in hold 17 on. and 20. Mike, how are you conflating India and China? You just is that like one? Because they're now? both two countries that have tried to ban it the highest number of times. Okay, Very large there, there's there's mass. other there's other explanations for why. Hobart does what he does. What is the name of that book? Driven something 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 something. It's it's literally just driven. I mean, the subtitle is pretty long, but yeah, that that book is pretty damn good. If you haven't read it yet, Alex. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. The point is, is that apparently, so this we had this guy on Bitcoin Veterans the other night. His name's Randy Kelly. He's a former SEAL and. General overall badass. I mean, he's apparently he's an entrepreneur. He's exited several businesses very successfully. He, he does pretty good for himself. Very interesting dude. But he, he uh, co-authored a book with a is that guy a behavioral psychologist or a psycho? I know. Anyway, some doctor, and uh, they they study <laughs> basically ADHD. Uh, people who tend to end up in in places like the military and special operations and shit like that don't know why. 
All right. Uh, welcome and good morning to Fish. How you doing? And Shiv. Morning. Hey, how's it going? Um, yeah, I was going to kind of uh, agree that I think in America specifically, it would be nearly impossible to, to ban or even attempt to disincentivize energy use for mining. Um, you know, I, for example, I, I think if the federal government tried to impose uh, restrictions or, you know, on incentives or whatever, like, I, I'm pretty sure Texas would immediately sue the federal government. It would just end up a huge cluster of nonsense and litigation and probably wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah, probably. It just moves. I mean, it's interesting to watch the, the pushback from the states at the state level on some of this federal level chicanery. If, if this, all I'll say is that if this kind of nonsense passed, I would go on my own personal crusade to make sure that they explicitly ban the use of washing machines in order to freeze pop cans. I don't know if you guys saw that video on freaking Twitter that's been circulating, but this woman dumped like three 12 packs of soda into a washing machine, dumped a bunch of ice and poured a bunch of salt in there to make sure that the ice didn't actually melt and it like stuck together and froze and made it all colder and just ran the washing machine in order to freeze this shit instead of just using the freezer. I'm going to absolutely go against that kind of crusade. Because if they're going to moralize against Bitcoin mining, I'm going to moralize against everything else that's stupid. And Christmas lights is high up on that list. Now I know how I'm cooling down beer for my next party. Why didn't she put it in the freezer? Exactly. That's the whole freaking point. It's called showmanship. See, Mickey gets it. Mickey's a, I mean, he's a pretty smart dude, this Mickey guy. So back, back to that mining thing. I, I think if, I think if the U.S. tries to ban mining in any sort of credible way, I, I think Texas becomes a country again. You know. Yeah. Not a bad I, point. I, I, I feel like we're pretty. I mean, some people hear this topic and they're like, oh gosh, that's just really crazy. I don't think it's so crazy. We're reaching a point at some point where there might actually be, what is it called? Balkanization of the United it States of America. It did not end well the last time. It will not end well this time. You think Maybe. the going to just like allow that to happen? Come on. Yeah, First of all, pro probably of, not. I think hold on, hold on. Second of all, back to, back to the mining thing. Um, if if there, there's a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me who think that the concentration of mining in the United States is too great and it would be a good thing for um, miners to leave this country, number one. Number two, as far as old people in government go, um, I, Mitch McConnell and Dianne Feinstein also need to leave. Um, and historically, I just want to say that, you know, at the end of, of, at the end of Roosevelt's term, people were questioning his ability to lead, and it was probably uh, um, well-founded. At the end of, recently, at the end of uh, Ronald Reagan's 
term, his second term, he was also going senile. And there was lots of people questioning his ability to lead. So I think we we should look at, you know, there's a there's a limitation on how old you have to be to be able to serve in government. There should probably be a limitation on how old you can be and be able to serve in government. I just wanted to back up real quick on the concept of like balkanization and how that ended last time. I think the difference now is we do have like very peaceful means of approaching it. They don't have this slavery thing to look on. If anything, we're the ones that have that uh, as Bitcoiners specifically that would look at what they're doing as slavery. Um, I think we just have a we have so many peaceful weapons they're going to want it to turn kinetic and we've just got to keep using Bitcoin, using free speech and having the second amendment as in the background. And I don't think it gets to that point. It's also a big deal for that conversation uh, that Texas does have its own segregated energy grid. I mean, what for those that don't understand what that means, it means that they cannot uh, import power from neighboring states. They have to generate it themselves. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Shiv Iyer, good morning. Do you have something you want to ask or add? Breaking the rules of Fight Club. No stage camping. Bye, Shiv. And I just, uh, Alex, I just wanted to um, elaborate. Like, I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't saying that it was a negative against Texas. I think that that's, it's actually a really, really good thing for the state of Texas to to be figuring out. Because, like, and th this is what I, I think I shared with Ant on in, in an offline conversation that it's actually been like a stroke of luck that Texas experienced that uh, winter storm a couple years ago. And they went through the difficulties of seeing the weaknesses in the grid and then particularly going and then like obviously at that time they had Bitcoin miners beginning to help uh, load balance. Um, and that amount of miners that is participating in that load balancing exercises has continued to grow. But uh, the, the this particular summer has also been a very good test of their system and showing where the weaknesses are with regards to uh, demand response. So like I. I think this is all just good things for Texas. Now, it all just what it also behooves is that they continue to double down on the load balancing strategies and continue to um, motivate Bitcoin miners of different fields to come into the state and provide them with the capital and resources and tax revenue that they need in order to continue um, growing infrastructure and be able to actually become a very robust system. I, I yeah, heard that you know, they they pay um, these uh, what do they call them peaker plants? They pay them to sit there idle on standby. Is that is that true? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, and it, it's really interesting and complex how this works. And I, I don't I don't know that most people, uh, certainly not most regular people, and even a lot of bitcoiners don't realize, um, you know, how sort of proven and effective the load balancing already is but it is it is apparent to ERCOT 
and you know, therefore the government in Texas, uh, you know, we literally prevented rolling blackouts with the heat just a couple weeks ago. Um, cause they'd already taken a lot of, a lot of, uh, plants offline as temperatures started to come down, you know, uh, just down for maintenance, et cetera, that has to happen every so often. And the demand really, really spiked there for several days, um, just about uh, two or three weeks ago. And without, without being able to keep plants online uh, and the, the, the miners soaking up energy and then rapidly shutting down in the afternoon when demand spiked, there absolutely would have been blackouts. And uh, not to mention fish, like, I don't know if you were, I'm sure you guys probably checked the ERCOT dashboard on a consistent clip. I was checking, I think, last week or two weeks ago. Uh, Texas also got pretty lucky with regards to their renewable generation because I think for like a week straight, uh, wind and solar had this perfect dance where they were actually producing how they were so what they've been supposed to with regards to like the timing of the day and everything. Um, I don't know. That was, that's not necessarily related, but I just wanted to point that out. Like, cause tech. ERCOT had been experiencing specific problems with regards to like they were experiencing high demand, but there wasn't any wind blowing and their generation was getting all thrown cattywampus. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, yeah, and I watch it very closely, uh, especially when we're curtailing like that. And it's there's this, you know, the, the, the solar falls off uh, just as the wind is starting to pick up in the evening. Um, but you have this wild demand change as a lot of businesses close, their air conditioning uh, temperatures go up and suddenly demand falls off. And it's kind of like right during rush hour when everybody's on their way home. Uh, and then they get home and they crank on the stove and they turn to turn, you know, crank the AC and the demand spikes through the roof. It's, it's wild to watch in real time. And that, that is right before the wind has really ramped up. Um, and that's, that's, that's always like the trickiest time of day from like 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. or so is, is when the, the demand is wild. And, we're, you know, the, it's most beneficial to the grid to have the miners uh, curtail during that time. Hey, Fish, do you work in the energy industry? Uh, no, I work in the mining industry. Okay. So how long is of, it? How of, long yeah. is it before? I was just going to say, how long is it before that's the same thing? <laughs> it, it, in many ways, it already kind of is in Texas, at least. Well, and I was actually um, so the the paper that I wrote um, that is publishing as a three part series in Bitcoin Mining or Bitcoin Mining, Jesus, Bitcoin Magazine. Um, I actually get to the point at the end, which is going to be part three on uh, tomorrow morning where I suggest that uh, load balancing and the probably the highest opportunity for Bitcoin miners is going to be late through the evening and up through the early morning because that's when demand ebbs the most. It'd be pretty interesting to see Bitcoin miners pivot to kind of like more of like nighttime operations for for load balancing purposes. Good morning, BJ. I literally just looked at your message. 
no, that's all right, man. You don't want to hang out. You want to give me the, you know, the, the cold shoulder. That's cool. I don't give a shit. That's fine. He's just playing hard to you, get, buddy. <laughs> nah, I'm kidding, man. It's cool. I'm, I'm still getting settled in and I got to go down, down to Miami later. But if you're around and if you want to come out tomorrow, let me know. I got something for you already. All right. I'm, I'm actually north of Miami a little ways, but yeah, let's definitely. Well, I'm in, I'm close to you. I think I'm in Delray now. Uh, so I'll be down in Miami for a few days and then back up in Delray. So I'll be here also into October. So let me know. Next week, we're all flying. All the swans are in the air starting on Monday. And we've got Pacific Bitcoin all week next week. Cool, man. I wish I could have come. Uh, I just wasn't in the cars. I can't, uh, you know, I'm just a trucker, man. Can't fly all over the UK here and you just know, the, the West Coast. Just, just a the trucker, trucker who <laughs> stands up to the Canadian government and all the lizards and just a trucker. Yeah, they're really, they're, I think they're a little upset at me at this point now because I, I think you saw uh, yesterday on what is, for those of you who don't know, there's a, a Jewish holiday called Yom Kippur. That's like the Day of Atonement. So Catholics do confession whenever they want to do confession. Jews have one day of the year where all their confession goes to that one day. So it's like a, a very serious deal. That's when everybody fasts and all that sort of stuff. Anyways, the point is, what would be the best time for Justin Trudeau to host an actual Nazi in Parliament? Of course, on the Day of Atonement. It's hysterical. And uh, I got word from some people on the inside, because I do have some allies, that they were all set up. It was people in the Liberal Party that are fed up with Justin Trudeau. They hate the Conservatives. They hate everybody there. So they managed to find an actual living, breathing Nazi, which is absolutely amazing. They found a guy who's basically one foot in the grave. And they brought him into Parliament. And all our parliamentarians, all our lizard people, those idiots, all clapped in unison. Standing ovation, I heard. They gave him a standing (laughs) ovation. That was the most epic troll in Canadian political history. It's hysterical. Tell me we're not winning when we can pull off stuff like that. And I'm not saying like we did it, but. That shit's fucking fantastic. That's that's like a a great psyop, right? That's really cool. I didn't know that was like an inside job. (laughs) Well, and listen, everybody who, like it's, when you go to parliament, it's not McDonald's. Like everybody is vetted in duplicate and triplicate. Everybody knew who he was. One side thought, we'll just ignore it and clap and move on because, you know, the London money. Wow. So, so wait a minute. Wait a minute. They knew who this guy was and they let him in there. Everybody who walks into, like, I've been in the parliamentary chambers before, uh, up, you know, seating in the top. Every single person in that building is vetted in, like, triplicate. And when they okay. say, oh, we didn't then know, how, they all knew. Okay, then how and that, why the hell would they do that then? <laughs> well, because the the party that's in power, uh, listen, there's there's a lot of shady people in the Liberal Party. Uh, our our finance minister, who is also the deputy prime minister, which in the parliamentary system, I don't know how that even happens. That's not supposed to happen. Krista Friedland, her grandfather was a Nazi propagandist. 
and was close with Klaus Schwab's father, who was also a Nazi. Like these people are crazy. These people are like just the trash of society. So, but you know, it is what it is. Lizards. So they bring this guy in because he fought the Russians. And these people have no, most people have no, in politics, have no concept of history. So they don't understand that the Russians were on our side. They think Putin has been the benevolent dictator for the past 20,000 years. They don't understand there was history before that, right? And on the conservative side, the people who know what's going on, they just, let's turn a blind eye, clap, and move on. No, no, you don't do that. That's why I call shit out all the time. And that's why they always try to attack me, because I'm not going to go along with the script, you know? They think that we, the people, are so stupid that we'll just, like, not notice what's going on. They think they can just be like, look, we're here's somebody that also fought against Russians, and isn't that great? And they really thought we'd be too stupid. And that should be really a white pill, that we're not stupid. We're going to call them out, and we understand this stuff probably better than they do. Well, this is why they struggle with modern media. Like I've, I've explained in many interviews I've done in uh, alternative media, the problem they're dealing, and I saw it from the inside, is media used to be unidirectional, right? It was top down and that's it. And if we yeah. wanted to scream and yell, there's no, now it's bi-directional. And that's why they introduced Well, it's bills, more than like, bi-directional. It's, it's omnidirectional. Like you yeah, can yeah. have with, with social media, you have information traveling the world being propagated to gigantic networks of human beings at the speed of light and they cannot hide they can't hide the shenanigans anymore like the lizards are getting caught left and right in their in their shenanigans if you if you back up the clock and you think about it right there was a time where just as you say it was it was single direction it was pushed media it was push information like they they told you what you wanted to hear and that's all you heard and that i think you know even prior to think about how how well this shit must have been controlled prior to television and radio you know you would have only heard what they wanted you to know full stop is my guess when i abandoned legacy media was like i don't know 15 years ago because i got so fed up with i'd get in the car after work I turn on what I called testicle radio and you'd hear the same five news stories on every news channel. You flip from one channel to another, to another, it's always the same five stories that had to be coordinated. Well, here we are 15 years later and we're now seeing what's behind the curtain. I saw what was behind the curtain politically and yeah, it is all completely coordinated and we're just not having any part of it. And you know, Bitcoin is the monetary equivalent of that. That's why Bitcoin is such a threat to them. That's, I talk a lot about uh, fifth-generational warfare, and I know there's people like Dr. Malone that think that is a something being done to us by the regime, whereas I think that's what we're doing to them with this omnidirectional uh, information. Sorry, I was just pushing a lawnmower. Yeah, it's and, about. Um, yeah, whereas I think what they're trying to do now with all this misinformation is that is the counter five generational warfare, um, and we're we're unstoppable. Well, it's we noise, get, right? They're trying to fill the airwaves uh, with noise, basically. Yeah, and they also do these strategies. Like, I'll give an example. One thing that's happening right now. 
the er, the first terrorism scandal involving Trudeau in the earlier part of the week was he had propped up what's called the Khalistani terrorist movement. So I think in Canada, they're a separatist movement in India. It's the only place that it's thrived is in Canada because Trudeau is aligned with these people. Okay. They're famous for the Lockerbie bombing, the Air India bombing. So yeah, the Air India bombing, that was them. Anyways, so what happens? What do they do? They have this new story that's blowing up all over the world. Once again, Trudeau was caught aligning with actual terrorists. Well, two or three days later, you you start hearing, hey, we need another convoy and a bunch of activists online trying to build another trucker convoy. This is the fourth time they've tried it. Every time his polls collapse, they get activists online and people align with the political class to convince people, join us for another trucker convoy. You know why? Because the trucker convoy is the boogeyman. And when they don't have a boogeyman, then they're sitting there with their thumbs up their rear. But if they have an artificial boogeyman they can create, then they can say, well, look how bad those people are. We're reasonable compared to You know what? Speaking of which, I suspect, I was just talking about this with Suzanne this morning, and this is just just an opinion. Like, take it for whatever, like a buffet. Treat it like a buffet. If you don't like it, just move on. But I suspect that the open border policy Let's be real. It's an open border policy. They're like, fucking come on in. I mean, we'll put you in hotels and shit. (laughs) It's so crazy. Um, I suspect that the millions and millions of people that are flooding in across the United States borders was is specifically for what you're talking about, BJ. Two reasons. Number one, they're going to vote even though they're not supposed to. And then number two... I think it's designed to cause chaos, to distract your asses from all the shenanigans and shit they're pulling right now. The other thing and is there's some inflation. <laughs> yeah, that too. But there's something. sometimes there's things you know what goes on behind the scenes in politics, but you can't say it because people just won't believe it. They'll think it's so ridiculously hyperbolic and they'll dismiss it. But I'll just say with one with one anecdote. So understand I won't talk about this often because of that. But in the case of Canada, uh, a large part of it has to do with human trafficking and massive money flows, and it goes all the way up to the top levels of cabinet in Canada. And I don't mean sex trafficking, by the way. Sometimes human trafficking can be uh, people who work on construction sites, People who get into the trucking business, it's a massive problem in trucking. So many of those people are trafficked and they're working for slave labor. Uh, You know, they're ending up with $3 an hour because of the various groups and politicians and organizations that they're they're paying off debt for the rest of their life. Mm, And if you have a, here's the crazy part. If you have a stratified society... Right. Believe it or not, like we in America, people like to say, well, this is a free country. Is it really? It's a it's a fully stratified society. You have to have certain things and credentials to participate in certain activities in the United States of America. So like you can't just even if you were to come in as an illegal, like you can't work in certain places because you can't prove you're a citizen. You don't have a social security number on and on and on and on. Right. You need the credentials. And without the credentials and the licenses and the government's blessing, you're basically relegated to some lower caste or some lower 
you know, class and society. And sadly, this is the reality. It even happens to to people who just kind of fall off the wagon, so to speak. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Maybe it's backwards. But there are people who, you know, some of the this government stuff is so freaking punitive that one traffic ticket can send somebody into a financial death spiral. You know, you get a traffic ticket, and in some of these cases, it's like $300 or $500. Well, there are a lot of people who can't afford to pay $300 or $500. And they're already fucking maxed out on credit cards and they're living day to day, month to month. And they're super stressed out. And they're like, how the hell am I even going to pay my damn rent? Don't speed. They are one step up. Thanks, Apple. They're one step away from a traffic ticket that basically puts them into a financial death spiral. Because what happens? Well, they get that traffic ticket. Their bank gets overdrafted. Now they get bank fees, boom, 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 and and then they lose their bank account. Now, now you're no longer a person in our modern society. It's pretty crazy. And there are there are billions of people in the world that are relegated to these classes of basically non-humans. And it's really jacked up in my opinion. Or what about in the case of trucking? Like we've had a couple of instances where, you know, listen, unfortunately accidents happen. People don't mean them. And sometimes people die. And there was a guy in Canada uh, who was trafficked, who was part of this, came from India. And he didn't see a bus. He was a new driver, wasn't well trained and caused an accident. Bunch of kids got killed. So he got 55 years in prison. There was another guy in Cal. It was a California or Texas. I can't think it was California. Got 108 years for a traffic accident, and the guy didn't mean it. Like it, these things happen. Uh, you know, it's they're building this tiered society. I don't know if it's intentional either. I think they have convinced themselves that this is what we need. This is for our safety. This is for our security. But this is the end result. Yeah, but cor- corrupt, a corrupt monetary system incentivizes the creation of this oh, kind 100%. of a society. Like, it doesn't yeah, even exactly. matter whether the people themselves are, are... Like, I'm not sitting here saying that these people have malicious intent, right? The people that create all the rules and make all the legislation and all the regulations and all that shit. It's just that when you have broken money, it incentivizes that kind of behavior. Like, look, if, if the government could not pay a um, government regulator unless they voluntarily raise the money from the people. Do you think those people would even have a fucking job? Serious question. I I would guess probably 70 to 80% of, of government employees wouldn't even exist if there was no such thing as a, as a, uh, required mandatory income tax. I think you're preaching to the choir, brother. Oh, I'm certainly. Okay. If nobody has anything else. Good morning, Wicked. What's up with you? Good morning. I, um... Posted yesterday after the whole sailor, you know, stacking on the, another handful of stats, right? We'll just say a handful. Handful? Makes, makes me the sad fuck? thinking about about how many Bitcoin he's got now. 
But I posted the other day saying, you know, breaking <laughs> sailor has a uh, whatever it was, one hundred and was it forty three thousand now? Let me just let me just see this real quick. I don't want to get it wrong. Over a hundred remember? Oh my god! What what is? Okay. Do you know what his interest is in MicroStrategy? Because mm -hmm. he doesn't have you know those aren't actually all his Bitcoin. We we say that, but they're not. Well, I mean, so I think he's I think he's he's. Uh, I'm pretty sure he controls over 50% of MicroStrategy stock, right? Isn't that part of the reason why he's? I, I have I have no idea how much stock he owns in MicroStrategy. Okay. Well, anyways, it doesn't really matter. Anyways, so what I said was, you know, MicroStrategy now holds 158,245 Bitcoin IOUs, right? And then I've been doing a little research into like what their actual structure is in terms of their custodian arrangement, right? <clears throat> And I found a clip from um, a debate. Let's see. He was on <laughs> – what show is that? Uh, he was on fucking – god damn it. Who's that guy? George Gammon. He was on George Gammon debating um, Doomberg. Okay. And he actually – there's a pretty good clip there where he goes into some detail as to what their custodian arrangement is. So I'll, I'll be posting that soon just to you know, share it with everyone. Um, but yeah, they've got three custodians and it sounds like you know they've got some sort of multi-sig arrangement where um, they – like the MicroStrategy definitely cannot move the coins on their own. So I think they need some – collaboration with their custodians in order to move the coins and then i'm not what's unclear is whether the custodians can move the coins on their own so you know i'm not sure if the custodians could rug them or not um but regardless you know i guess the point is that microstrategy can't move the coins on their own right it's a collaborative custody arrangement but the other thing that's interesting about this is you know because it's an arrangement like this um they've got visibility into their balances, right? I mean, they know their addresses, they know their balances. And, um, you know, and an interesting question is, would you consider that to be IOU Bitcoin if you know the balances that you have, if you've got some partial control over their movement? I mean, what do you guys think? Is that still IOU Bitcoin or is that now starting to get into like a gray area? self-custody and, and i guess the same question could be asked you know with like collaborative custody using unchained or something like that for example what do you guys think iou or not i'll take that as in i don't know what you're talking about i just don't really worry about this stuff like you see the the headlines like you know, Sailor bought more and, and, you know, and then there's like this concentration of Bitcoin and concentration of wealth that people start to panic about. And it comes from this like idea that, you know, I guess that if somebody holds a bunch of Bitcoin that, that they can somehow influence the network. And I mean, maybe I'm too stupid to get it, but I just believe, and we've said this, that on earth, there's going to be some people who have more money than other people. And I mean, that's just the reality of it. That's the way it's going to be for the duration. And it may not be you, but it's not like, I mean, besides dumping for some kind of temporary, you know, 
downward pressure on the price. I mean, like, what can he really do uh, beside, like, to the Bitcoin network itself with that holding? It really just comes back to the same old problems of what do people do with outsized wealth? Like, you know, I mean, if somebody ends up with, if MicroStrategy en ends up being, for example, you know, all our dreams come true, Bitcoin becomes, you know, hyper-Bitcoinization, MicroStrategy becomes like the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest companies on the planet for like the next couple hundred years. I mean, that could be bad, but that's not something on, that doesn't affect like the Bitcoin network, that affects like the world, it's like different. So I just want to make sure that people are separating these concerns because I think that like the gut reaction that you hear is, oh, somebody has a bunch of Bitcoin and like, you know, that leads into the FUD of like concentration of coins with individuals. And that goes into this kind of, I don't know, I, I don't want to call it communist thinking, but that's kind of where I start to get with it. Like, we're not all going to have the same amount of money on this planet. Oh, it definitely leads to communist Marxist thinking. That's why you're seeing an explosion in communist Marxist thinking. I mean, it's when you have unfair systems in place that when all the incentives are jacked up, in other words, when you have a society that rewards corruption, when you have a society that rewards lying and stealing and cheating, when you have a society that unfairly compensates certain people in the society over others. Like you could have somebody who basically is just super close to the money printer and they're a corrupt lying lizard and they don't work anywhere near as hard as someone who's driving a truck maybe or just doing some factory job or doing some like hard work. You have people, human beings who work hard their whole lives trying to make a life for themselves but they're actually penalized for doing that and the lizards are rewarded so when you when you have that kind of thing going on it breaks the system and then you have a whole bunch of people who are looking at it without hope and when you take away people's hope that opens the door for all kinds of problems all kinds of i mean a lot of folks classify this stuff as mental illnesses today. I don't personally classify it that way. I just think that these people are, you know, they're spiritually on the wrong side of the equation and they don't understand it. They don't even know why they can't get ahead. They're just like, screw it. They get mad. They're seething with rage and they basically hate themselves because why can't I get ahead? Why can't I make this work? And they don't understand it. So they're, they, they're mad at themselves and then they want to lash out and then that's where this Marxist, Marxist freaking ideology comes from. They're like, oh, it's those guys. It's the, it's the business owners. It's the farmers. It's the people who are working hard, building things. It's their fucking fault. Anyway, I don't know who's next, Lisa or Dom. Go ahead, Lisa. Oh, thank you. Good morning, guys. This is Good morning. Thank you. Second time in like three hours today, I've already had a conversation where the word Marxist has come up. That is a, uh, that is a scary society. Um, so Wicked, thank you for your comments on the private key ownership. This is obviously is something that I'm really interested in. Um, your comment about is it paper Bitcoin or not, I, I would offer to you that 
it's my understanding, feel free anybody that has other information, but it's my understanding that we secure the nuclear codes with the HSM technology. And that is the same technology that's employed by Custodia and other banks to secure private keys. So if we're going to make the argument that it's paper Bitcoin, if you have a custodian in place, I mean, are we saying that those, the NSA data, the top secret government data is compromised, that it's a paper nuclear code if it's secured in one of these, uh, in one of these setups? I mean, I, I, I just th I think I make the argument that no, it's not paper Bitcoin. If you can verify on chain that the Bitcoin is there, um, explain to me how that's paper Bitcoin. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm not at all being argumentative. Wicked or Ant, you guys have thoughts on this? I don't. I was waiting on Wicked. Sorry, maybe Ant, maybe that was you. I'm sorry, I was driving. I, I wasn't quite sure who was speaking, but yeah, thank you if, if anybody wants to hop in. And if not, that's fine too. I suspect Wicked might be busy, but he's probably out of the people on stage right now the most qualified to speak to this, except for maybe Mickey. Hey, Lisa, can you can you talk about the UTXO thing you were telling me about maybe like a week ago? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, now she'll custodia. Our custody solution is the we employ the hardware security module or HSM. Um technology and we custody UTXOs. So when you deposit Bitcoin or UTXO within Custodia, each customer account is in a segregated account where you can go verify on chain that your Bitcoin is there. Uh, we also have uh, proof of reserves with internal and external auditors where you can verify that uh, you can verify that, that your balance is held within Custodia. So that's a really a game-changing uh, opportunity for, you know, a, Custodia does not serve retail. So this is for, you know, businesses, enterprises, institutions, um, a pension funds, whomever. It was, you know, built for that scale. But that's a game-changing um, way of verifying, right? There's no more conversation around is Grayscale really or their assets really at Coinbase, right? And then Coinbase issues a statement. It's like, oh yeah, we audited it, it's here. Well, okay, but at Custodia, you now have the, the visibility on chain to go view it and prove that it's there. Well, you can prove that it's in, a, in an address, right? If you're verifying it on chain. When you say it's there, you what I think about is the physical aspect because at the end of the day here's the interesting thing about bitcoin is at the end of the day the keys are still secured in meat space right so now you have a physical security challenge and which requires physical security solutions i would just say real quick too before surfer jim goes is that the uh like when i see these audits 
you know, you usually do see that. You'll see like, oh, they have this number of coins in this address, whatever. But then you don't usually see the liability side. So it's like, how are you really able to trust this auditing in the first place? Again, I mean, the whole concept of this whole auditing, I mean, it's kind of outside of the concept of Bitcoin in the first place. You know, the idea that that we have to trust somebody to say, yes, here's this and it's in this address. And yes, you can see it and that's great. But you still have to be within the uh, appropriate people to understand and see all of it all the way through to the back end and whatever. I just it, it's it's like a joke to me when you hear about these audits and and proof of, you know, whatever proof of reserves and and whatever else. Are you talking about liabilities from an institution that engages in lending and I'm talking about any liabilities against that against that, you know, holding. Well, it's like not it's one thing that, to say, yeah. well, somebody has this, but yeah, like, is it really theirs? Like, what are they holding? And but you know, but you also you also it, it's not just that. It's basically you're looking at the financial health of any organization is really what it comes down to. Like, what does the whole balance sheet look like? What are all the liabilities? What are the cash flows? What are the if you have a custodian, right under the law, supposedly that's supposed to protect the assets in the event that that institution goes bankrupt. No, if it's no, a tr- if it's a qualified custodian trust company right so the problem becomes like what unless you have visibility into all aspects it's very difficult and i'm not pooping on it i'm just saying these are the challenges we face because like for example that thing that went down with fortress so they had they there was a hole in their cash position well who knew that they did. So even if you can see assets on chain, doesn't mean you can see that uh, ex- from an external point of view. Well, I won't speak to every uh, the, the regulation protecting customers within other institutions, but I mean, Custodia having a speedy charter in Wyoming, you have what I think, not financial advice, these are not words of Custodia, but what I think is is the strongest protections for your asset. So in Wyoming, you're protected by statute, not merely user agreement, which you're protected by at other institutions. And so what bailment means is that when you deposit your Bitcoin at Custodia, the Bitcoin remains your property. So like you've dropped off your car at the Valley Parker, you haven't relinquished rights to your car. You've merely given them temporary custodianship. Yes, this is, this is true. Like there is, there is protection under the law, but that's not what Ant is talking about. What Ant is talking about is the failure of an entity, which is an entirely different thing. I agree with you, by the way, Lisa. I think, you know, it's better to have protection under the law than to not have protection under the law. Is it going to help you? I don't know, but it's better to have it than not have it. It's like the insurance thing. Like if you can get a custodian that has insurance on the assets, that's better than not having insurance on the assets. Is that going to help you? I don't know, but it's better than not having it. And at the end of the day, if you take self-custody, there's just a little reminder, you don't have to worry about any of this shit because you're holding it. Oh, absolutely. 100% agree. I mean, I I just, I hopped into your conversation late. I apologize. You guys were on the, you know, micro strategy is his Bitcoin real Bitcoin or is it paper Bitcoin conversation? So I, I only offer this from an enterprise 
perspective. Yeah, hundred hundred percent agree with you. If any, if I can self custody my Bitcoin, surely anyone can. Yeah, that's a great point because thank you for saying that because there's a lot of Bitcoiners who are they jump up and down and they scream about institutions like a you know MicroStrategy or whatever not doing self custody, and it's like look. When you walk in the shoes of those CEOs and those, you know, the the head of legal and the CFO, then okay, let's let's hear about your thoughts on that. But the reality is they're in a world where they have to do it. This is not optional. Like if you've got, and I wish Dom was still up here um, because he'll explain to you that like when you have pension funds and you have institutions that are managing in some cases hundreds of billions of dollars and they have a board of um basically the board that that runs how and where they they put the assets those people are fiduciaries meaning if they screw it up they're going to get their asses sued which means that they're looking for in most cases um you know institutional custody and it's been that way for hundreds of years I mean, just again, I don't know what I'm speaking about when I get deep into this macro and this like, you know, custody and whatever. But the 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 thing is like from a gut check reality, uh, like I don't know where he's keeping it, but if he's keeping it with some custodian, and I know that there's some rules and regulations that say you have to, if you're, you know, a company, you got to keep it with a custodian, whatever you guys are talking about. But the bottom line from a Bitcoin protocol standpoint is that if he's not in possession or if MicroStrategy is not in possession of those, you know, keys directly themselves, um, being able to move it without having to go to that custodian, um, being able to, you know, make those moves in a sovereign way, then it may not be paper Bitcoin, but they're also not holding it. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, in the, 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 the longer I'm around a Bitcoin and the more I learn about custody, the more I think that Basically, for any uh, substantial value held in Bitcoin, it's all going to move towards either multi-sig or or something very similar to that. The other thing, too, real quick about, you know, the custody thing is that if, you know, you hear like it, it could be like there's legal stuff, like there's legal ramifications. And, and if, if there's a third party. ABC is holding on to the money and something happens to company ABC or some kind of malfeasance and and you, the poor user, got rugged from your funds, like like the government's going to somehow come out with their legal framework and protect you in a court of law. But what we've seen historically in this space is it, it usually comes back to pennies on the on the dollar of what the real value is. You know, you, well, it, something it, will it, happen it, back in the day and they're still depends. paying out, but it, it's worth what it was back then, you know, in dollar terms. It, it, it depends, right? It depends on two things. Now, number one, um, how big is the hole in the balance sheet? Number two, was the company, if it's a, if it's a qualified custodian, the question then becomes, well, was the company doing something actually illegal? Meaning they were using customer assets as if the, those customer assets were their own. Uh, so there's there's a lot of nuance to this. Guys, question: What what law is actually being broken if they hold their mm. own Bitcoin? No, it's not a law. It's it's. Like it's why, more... why does Michael Saylor, why why does Michael Saylor need to use a custodian? Corporate governance. They they have shareholders. 
Okay, but is that is that a law? I'm asking. I'm not saying. I'm no, not it's not a law. Theory. It's more like a okay. So it's kind of like a um, accepted best practices practices issue, right? So if I, if I was a shareholder, I would. I, and, and Michael Saylor said, "We've set up a multi sig. This is our protocol. We are in self custody of our coins." I would feel far safer than someone saying we've used a custodian third party. Okay, well, that's you though, and are you a majority shareholder? And if you're no, not, no, then point, like that's point. your opinion. But the majority shareholders don't share the same view as you. But that's that the reason. Lack, that's a lack of understanding, right? Because, because no, I don't think it. so. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's so they don't get their fucking asses sued off. I think. All right, let me give you let me give yeah, you an the, analogy. That's the whole premise of against Bitcoin, isn't it? It's like you know, Bitcoin's all about taking responsibility and accountability for your wealth, right? And these these yeah, these but if you're if you're running a public company, you're now taking the responsibility for other people's wealth, which is creates a scenario where you can easily get sued. Okay, so here's the yeah. here's here, let me give you a scenario to think about. Let's say there's an oil tanker. And uh, this oil tanker is owned by a company that has shareholders. So there's like X number of people. Let's call it 10 people that own like 80% of the stock that can, that is the ownership ultimately of this oil tanker. And the best practices for safe operation of the oil tanker is don't turn the oil tanker sideways in the Suez Canal, right? The captain of the oil tanker decides to turn the, the tanker sideways in the Suez Canal. And the tanker's wrecked and they lose... I don't know how much those things cost, but it's a lot. What's going to happen? The shareholders, the owners of that company are going to get after whoever they can and hold somebody responsible. That is the reason. Yeah, because but Alex, if you the, can't, the, captain doesn't, the captain doesn't relinquish responsibility of driving the ship. He, the, the captain ultimately takes responsibility of that ship, right? He absolutely does. And it is in his best interest to steer that ship straight down the Suez Canal, not turn it sideways. This is the point. Are you missing are you missing what I'm saying? Like maybe we're just talking past each other here. I thought I, I, I thought I had a pretty good analogy. Can I offer another example? I mean, let, let's just go down the the self-custody. I'm micro-strategy. I have a self-custody strategy. I, I don't use a custodian. Um We've created a nine out of uh, 16 uh, quorum. So I have to have nine signers out of a possible 16, or it could be two of three. It could be any, it could be M, M of N, right? Okay, fine. We're going to do it that way. How are those people that each hold a computer signing device, a piece of paper with the seed phrase, how are they securing that? Yeah, but why? Why is the custodian more trustworthy? I don't see why a third party is a better, tr a better trust option. Well, for, well, for one, I mean, the same reason the U.S. government doesn't hand the codes, you know, to our nuclear capability and say, like, you six people, just hang on to these. I'm sure it'll be fine in your house, right? It's secure yeah. using cryptography. Let's, let's get Chris. It's yeah. Let's look at Chris and like we'll pick five. Let's call it uh, nuclear watch citizens at random and be like, yo, bro, you, we're going to give you with this key. I don't well, know. You're, you're, talking, you're talking about the board members of a company owning the asset, owning their own assets or trusting a third party. We're not talking about random but they, people. They don't own the asset. The asset is owned by the, by the institution. I think the whole problem with this conversation, and by the way, sorry for you know, missing the whole conversation. I got pulled into a meeting. I had you guys in one ear. <laughs> but I couldn't respond. Um, 
I think the whole problem with uh, this idea of self-custody you know, for a company is that a company can't self-custody its Bitcoin. Like it doesn't make sense, right? A company is not an entity that controls anything on its own, right? It's made up of people, right? It's made up of board members. It's made up of shareholders. So you can't like self-custody just doesn't even – there is no self, yeah, but right? Is there is no self. Custodian. It's like so- – What's the difference? The custodian is people. Yeah, but I mean, okay. So, but, but again, like you just can't. You a company cannot self custody. Dude, Why? I feel like I feel like at this point you're just because being a company obtuse, because a honest. company is not a fucking individual. But like, I feel like we're we're going around in circles. Like we've explained this to you three different fucking ways, and I feel like we're starting to waste time at this point. All right, fair enough. But I, I, I just, I don't see why a custodian and the people in a custodian are more trustworthy. I than... get that. I get that. We all get that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you don't see it. And, there's, and there's also I understand your perspective. I do understand your perspective. I get where you're coming from. I'm not disagreeing with you, but there, there are reasons people do it. There's also legal. There's also legal reasons that this happens. I mean, people who are on boards are fiduciaries, and fiduciaries have a legal responsibility. So they have to do what they think is going to be the best for everybody. And if that is a custodian solution, then that's they have the right to do that. I mean, it's it's. They also might not want to have a target on their back if they're. That's my point. Like they're going to be held responsible either way. And if, uh, you know, if they have a custodian, at least there's somebody they can point the figure at and go, look, they lost it, not me. Well, I can't wait for that narrative to flip, though, where like the fiduciary duty right now in 2023 is that it has to be with a custodian. But with enough rug pulls on a long enough timeline, it'll be like, what the hell are you doing putting our money in a custodian? You have a fiduciary duty to keep my money self Right, but here's here's the thing, though. Now it comes down to, again, it's going to come down to... um, there's that equation with physical security and and because the keys ultimately are a bearer asset. This is the crazy part, right? It always comes back to this. Like, okay, this so is how let's early say, we are, right, Alex? Walk down the walk down that scenario Still for lost, just a second. Think here. about it. Think about it, right? Like, let's say some company, let's take MicroStrategy. So MicroStrategy, all the shareholders get together and they're like, we got fucking rugged. So from here on out, we're doing self-custody. We're going to create a multi-sig. And then you've got what m of n or x of n or whatever Let, let's call it 12 freaking keys and you have to have nine out of the 12 so now what do you have you have nine executives separated by geographic all around the world like you got these nine people right and what do they do are they gonna like wear this metal seed plate around their neck and now you've got two guys flanking them with machine guns at all times like what the fuck does that start to look like it's crazy it always comes back to the physical security. It looks like what? it looks like it looks like Michael Saylor at PB. Remember that guy? There was I think there was there was I know there was one. I think there was two I, guys you know walking the entire time. I did not even see his security at PB. That's good security. I didn't see him. You weren't looking. You were just in the with Michael. No, I was looking. Any chance Trust I me, can... it's my nature to look. Go ahead. Jim. Yeah, I've been wait, waiting quite a while here. You guys have been quite uh, quite exciting about excited about this topic. Um, I I would like to present it or articulate it in such a way as to recognize that the blockchain, the Bitcoin network of of nodes that uh, confirm transactions, 
are in control of the UTXOs in the sense that if you, any multi-sig, any single sig, it doesn't matter when you move UTXOs from one address to another, it's at that new address that the rules are set for when this UTXO can be moved. And the network will only recognize movement of that new, those UTXOs based on the conditions being satisfied when the UTXO was created. So that brings it back to the secret that controls the UTXO, how many private keys, like Alex said, they're in physical meat space and people control them somewhere. And so um, it's still, no matter what the law says outside, it still requires individuals that have control over the secret, in this case, you know, 12 words, that control a private key, that can prove to the network they have uh, authority to alter the data set, the UTXO set, by saying, I want to move this. But the rules of that UTXO are going to say, well, you can't do it on your own. We need some other secrets to be revealed. And so people, physical people, still have to come together. It doesn't matter if it's the custodians within the organization or a trusted third-party custodian. Human beings have to put those secrets together sign a message, broadcast it to the network. The network will check if it's legitimate, and that's the only way they move. And so it ultimately comes down to trusting humans to yeah. control secrets and not let them be stolen by other humans. 100%. And even if you steal one of 12 secrets, you still have to collude with the other, in your example, 100%. nine other people with their secrets. Well said. This is the age-old problem, and it's also the age-old solution. Like we're as Bitcoiners, we're sitting around like going, "Well, what about this? What about that?" It's like, look, human beings have secured secrets for thousands of years. How do they do it? Multiple parties that all have to collude, and people are watching them too, right? You basically have to have a system of checks and balances when you have humans involved. How does De Beers keep their diamonds safe? How does any major security they dump them you, you, into the ocean? You know the biggest risk that security companies face. I'm talking about like vaulting companies that secure diamonds and art that's worth tens of millions of dollars, et cetera, et cetera. They have a system of checks and balances where humans are constantly watching the other humans. And in order for any shenanigans to be pulled off, would require the collusion, the criminal collusion of many humans simultaneously which reduces the chances of it occurring. This is the point of, of that kind of an operation. It's a governance issue. It's a physical security issue. All right. I want to say good morning and welcome. Uh, we have got Mr. John Dennehy, the founder of My First Bitcoin, a.k.a. Me Premier Bitcoin, joining us. Good morning. Thanks for hanging out. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me, for having us today. You bet. All right. Uh, does anybody have any closing thoughts or want to ha say anything else to wrap up that last topic? Uh, just apologies if you thought I was being obtuse. I really didn't mean to be. Um, I was just, uh, yeah, just good to think it through and thought experiments. So uh, apologies for uh, laboring the point. Well, it's, uh, you know, Chris, it wasn't really like to me, you just kept answering, asking the same question over and over and over again. We'd explain it and then you'd ask it again and we'd explain it. And I mean, it got to the fourth point. Like it, Peter he's, actually gave it one final shot. He's British. The, the analogy number four. He's British. <laughs> he's very stubborn. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's because I'm British. I'll blame All good. <laughs> anyway. And I ain't mad at you. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a good point. You got to, I mean, 
I get where you're coming from. I mean, it's I'll be kid. honest. No one's changed my mind, but I, I appreciate everyone's point of view. But I still think. Yeah. I still think. I still think it's. I personally think the more. Anyway, I won't repeat it. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's a. It's a hard problem, right? And yeah, there are certain sure. types of. It's a hard problem. Like is, again, how do you secure nuclear launch codes? How do you? How do you prevent a you know a ballistic nuclear submarine from? Launching, going rogue, and launching its its nuclear warheads at Russia. Like, how yeah, do you right. how do you do that? But and, uh, you uh, know, the U.S. military are not going to use a custodian to hold those codes, are they? I mean, maybe they do. No, but, they uh, they use a system of governance which prevents the um, any one individual acting unilaterally yeah. to do the bad thing. That's the point. That's the point I was trying to make before as well. No, no, it's a I, I system of checks and balances where everyone's watching each other so that yeah. no, you know, it would require did, basically did the criminal collusion. Of, he, baited, he baited you back into I'm like not. having the conversation. Well done, again. sir. Sorry. Explanation Sorry. number five. I know. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm, 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 I'm done. One, one last thing I'll say just in regards to microstrategy, which I thought was kind of interesting. It was also mentioned in this in this uh, this debate, which you know I'll, I'll post the link to shortly. Is that when MicroStrategy levered up, um, where they when they used <laughs> some of their Bitcoin as collateral to buy more Bitcoin, the uh, the company that they did that through allowed them to continue to hold the original Bitcoin in the collaborative custody you know, with one of their custodians. So they were able to get, you know, leverage on that Bitcoin while keeping it in their quote unquote safer collaborative custody arrangement to buy more Bitcoin, which I thought was interesting. So they never moved the, the custody of that Bitcoin to the company that they got that leverage from. Wicked, you're a technical guy, right? So if you were Michael Saylor, how would you store the Bitcoin? I, I mean, well, I don't think he has much of an option. I think no, but, no, but if, you, if you had you, every you, option, you cannot. You, I mean, the, the the if you're Michael Saylor, you set the system up in a way where it is impossible for you to steal the Bitcoin unless you're a scammer. I think. I mean, so part of the problem is that with with so much Bitcoin, I mean, with billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, you know, the options. It's not like you're just going to hold your Bitcoin in a multi sig using cold cards. Like this doesn't make sense. So there are different protocols in place for, you know, quote unquote, institutional grade custody that are supposedly safer than just holding a bunch of fucking cold cards spread around the globe. I'm not so I mean, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that works, to be honest. So I don't really know. I, I don't have a comment. Um, also, I hope that I, I mean, like <laughs> securing billions of dollars with a Bitcoin, like, I don't know, man, as much as we want Bitcoin to succeed, that would be pretty stressful. Like, I hope that I, you know, like that's just too much money in my opinion. Like, I don't, I don't really want to have control over that much wealth. So I hope that, um, if it ever does get to that point, I don't know. Like, yeah, no, nobody yeah. wants to be in a position where they can unilaterally take, take that kind of value. Like that's It'd not be. a good place to be. It'd be crazy, yeah. I mean, you, compared you to would yourself, be you would be case, stupid. But. You'd have to be a complete psycho to to set something up intentionally where you had the access to to all of it yourself. You'd, I mean, you'd literally be planning from the beginning as a criminal. Anyway, like we have to move on. We're nine minutes into me premiere Bitcoin's time, talking about the same shit. So we gotta we gotta go on. Um, all right, John Dennehy, founder of my first Bitcoin. Uh, 
How are you doing, sir? Like what's going on in your life? I'm good. I'm, I'm great. Actually. I, um, you know, I, I have been in El Salvador for a little bit more than two years at this point. And, uh, my first son was born here about five weeks ago. So one more Bitcoiner here in El Salvador. Um, and the, everything with, with my first Bitcoin has been, you know, and I hope we could get into it a little bit today has been, uh, I'm just amazed every day at all the progress that happens and, and, um, you know, the team that has formed around, around this and all the great work that they do. And, and yeah, it's so <laughs> everything's great over here. All right. Apologies. I'm actually multitasking at the moment. Um, how do you like living in El Salvador? I wanted to ask you this before we dig into me premier Bitcoin stuff, because I'm very curious about El Salvador. I hear lots of great things. I've I've thought about checking it out to actually move there. Uh, so from someone who's lived there for two years, pros and cons, what are the three best things you like, the three things you hate? Yeah. Um, well, you should come and see it for yourself, right? El Salvador is, is great. You know, there's a reason why I... I've stayed here for so long. Like I'm, I'm really putting down roots. I guess, I mean, I, I have a Salvadorian child now. There's nothing, nothing more permanent than that. Um, and I love it here because not because of Bitcoin, but I think Bitcoin fits into it really well. El Salvador had a, uh, dark past recently, um, you know, I'm talking the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, like actually even like five or six years ago. Uh, but it's really turned around and you could feel that, right? You could sense that with just everyday interactions that you have with people, that people people are optimistic about the future here. And, you know, so I'm, I'm from New York originally, I'm from the U.S. And there and in, I think, much of the world today, People are pessimistic about the future. They fear what's coming. Here, they look forward to it, right? And I'm not even talking about Bitcoiners. I'm just talking about everyday people here. They're like, you know what? Tomorrow is going to be better than today. And I think that aligns so well with Bitcoin because if Bitcoin allows you to control your present, right? You control your money, you control your power, you control your present, uh, which allows you to build something for the future. It allows you to plan, if, if you have control over, over your money. Um, and it's also, if you're optimistic about the future, like forget about Bitcoin, if you're optimistic about the future, it also encourages you to, to build something, right? To like look forward to that. And that is, I think El Salvador is not entirely unique. I'm sure there are other places in the world today that, that have that mentality, uh, among the majority of the population, but I think it's rare. I think I think it's the exception to the rule in 2023. Um, and that, you know, there's so many knock-on effects to that. Like people are just, when you're optimistic about the future, then I, I think you're actually friendlier in the present. Um, you're just in a better mood in the present. Uh, so I I love it here. I will say to to put one negative in there, um, everything is based around cars here, which is not, 
you know, I, uh, maybe because I'm from New York, I, I this isn't super pedestrian friendly. Um, you know, I'd like to walk around a little bit and not have to just drive everywhere. There's lots of traffic. Um, but that's that's a that's kind of like a modern city problem, right? That's not really an El Salvador thing. Uh, so I I love it here, and I think that everyone should come see it for themselves. Everyone that that can should. And actually, November is a great time. The rainy season the rainy season's kind of ended now, um, or it should be. Historically, this year is a little bit off, but uh, but November is adopting Bitcoin which is November 7, 8, and 9. Uh, so that's a, that's a really, really great Bitcoin conference um, that everybody should, should check out. And it's just a great excuse to come down here and, and see El Salvador generally. And then my first Bitcoin, uh, we're actually doing tons of stuff that week as well. So if you wanted to check out, you know, again, see, see for yourself. Uh, we have that same week, we have... Uh, We'll have a big graduation on November 4th, which is the Saturday before the, the conference. Um, so, you know, we have this 10-week program and, and in a school near the Capitol, we're going to have a big graduation on November 4th, November, November 4th and 5th. We're going to do a Bitcoin education fair in support of, of adopting Bitcoin with Dukuve Bitcoin, um, which is another Bitcoin project here. And then November 6th, which I'm really excited about, we're going to have a independent Bitcoin education unconference, try to get people from around the world who are working on Bitcoin education in their own communities, in their own ways, get them all in one place to talk about best practices, uh, to share with each other, you know, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and to create connections between those, those different projects around the world so that we could, we could grow faster and we could speed up the timeline. What is an uh, unconference? Yeah, good question. So an unconference is, I think, a really simple way to, to explain that, what, especially to like a Bitcoin crowd, is it's a hyper-decentralized conference. So a true unconference is one in which there is no, no central body that determines the agenda and whoever shows up that day, kind of the first activity is, is the participants there make the agenda and they decide what the topics are, what to focus on, um, what to emphasize. We'll be doing a hybrid model because that's, that's probably a bridge too far for, for people who, who are unfamiliar with, with the concept. Um, so what we're going to do, it's, it's at this really wonderful restaurant that has that's literally on the side of a volcano that that overlooks the capital, and they have tons of space. So we're going to have an indoor space where there's going to be speakers, um, very traditional format. We're going to announce it ahead of time. We're going to actually start announcing speakers this week, and then outside because there's this big lawn area. There's going to be uh, one area of the lawn which will have conversations. You know, all of this is about Bitcoin education that will have conversations, that will have someone that moderates slash leads the conversation that is that is familiar with that topic. And then there's going to be a third space, which is um, which will be decided that day by who's ever there, what the, you know, everybody will have a chance at the at the very start to give, you know, if they weren't selected for one of the first two to to pitch what they want to to talk about. 
and and you know wherever the most interest is those will become the the conversations at the third space right on like uh it's really wild like for those of you who don't know these guys started this um they fired the shot that was heard around the world, so to speak, in terms of educating young kids on Bitcoin. And that program has exploded and blown up. And now it is being copied and duplicated and um, embraced and being used by many other people around the world to create their own Bitcoin education platforms uh, and programs. And it's just amazing the, the chain of events that has occurred since you started doing that? Yeah, it's, again, it's like, you know, if I could go back two years, then I, I'm not sure I would believe <laughs> everything that's happened. But yeah, actually there's, there's like maybe a very quick update there. So we work with, we call them nodes. Um, we work with Bitcoin education projects around the world. We there's we work with them in about 20 countries at this point. This is a program that we only started a few months ago, and it's just grown very quickly without us advertising it. Just there's there's a demand for this, right? Like people want to teach about Bitcoin in their own communities, and and we're trying to help them do that by you know sharing best practices and, and frameworks and all that. Um, basically, open sourcing like how to run your own Bitcoin education project. And that has yielded, and hopefully at this unconference, that's actually kind of the inspiration for the unconference is we have these big calls sometimes with, with nodes in different places. Uh, and it's like, hey, what if we could, what if we could do this in person? Let's do it the day before adopting Bitcoin. That seems like a, a great time to, to try to organize something. Um, and then here in El Salvador, this is, you know, this, this, this has been ongoing. It actually just finished on on Friday, so maybe some people have already have already seen this, but this is really amazing news here in El Salvador. So simultaneously, right, we, we have we kind of have two focuses. What we like to say is El Salvador is the focus, the mission is the world, right? So we believe that because El Salvador is the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, it will set a precedent. It will create an example. Right, we get to decide what sort of example that is, uh, and we really believe that independent Bitcoin education will will make sure that's a positive example, and like that's already bearing fruits, right, both domestically and internationally. So domestically, just in the past few weeks, we've participated in this. I I think history books are going to look back on this, right. Um, so the Ministry of Education here has started to started a pilot program to train teachers uh, with their own Bitcoin diploma, right? Which was um, uh, modeled after the Bitcoin diploma that that we've been using in the in in some some schools here in the country. Um, so in the past few weeks, ourselves, me from our Bitcoin, along with support from Bitcoin Beach have been supporting the Ministry of Education in this project. So we've been training the teachers. We've trained, uh, this month, we've trained, this program ended on Friday. We trained 150 public school teachers from 75 different public schools in three different departments, so spread across the country, which next month will go 
to their own schools and teach this this Bitcoin diploma, um, which this is the first time this has ever happened, right? And and if successful, the idea is to expand that program to every school in the country next year. This is incredible. I mean, how do you change a whole system like that? Seemingly, I mean, it feels like overnight. It's happened so fast. Like, let me ask you a question. How receptive are these teachers to this idea of Bitcoin? Like, are they, like, if you had a room full of 20 of them, how many of them are, like, super excited and on board? How many of them are, like, kind of like whatever? And then how many of them are, like, I'm not so sure about this Bitcoin thing? Yeah. Um, so I think most of them would be somewhat neutral, like cautious to neutral. Uh, and then a small number would be excited to learn about it. And a small number would be openly hostile to it. And these are, these are like, so in the last, in the last department in La Libertad, um, there was one teacher at the start, you know, at the intro, like, Hey, so we're going to talk about Bitcoin, like just an outline of the next few days, what we're going to do. There was one teacher who, who very loudly and very vocally told us that, oh, Bitcoin's a scam. Everything you guys are going to tell us is going to be a lie. I'm not going to listen to anything. Um, and by the end of it, he was like, oh, you know, my, I forget if it was his daughter or he had some family in the United States. He's like, why am I using Western Union? Like, thanks for, thanks for teaching us about Bitcoin. Like I was wrong. Like I actually was misinformed and, and thank you. And that's, you know, that's just one person, but that actually happens again and again. And I think maybe we were able to be successful with that because one of, one of the teachers, uh, his name is, is Luis. He's a, he's a minister. He's a preacher. And he actually took our class, um, about a year ago because he had been preaching against Bitcoin in his own community. And when he saw like free registration for this free Bitcoin class, he's like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to expose them. Like that was his stated mission. And by the end of it, he had, you know, uh, been orange pilled so much that, that he's now one of our, one of our star teachers, right? He actually has a theology school um, and he gives the, the, uh, the students there like a stipend. Well, and he actually pays them in Bitcoin now, right? Like he's totally, so he's, he's gone through that himself. And I think that's really important. So like all of our teachers are Salvadorians who were probably skeptical at some point, right? So I think it's really easy for them to relate to that when they see it in others. All right. Again, apologies. Multitasking. Okay, we got about six minutes left in the show. Um, I'd like to open it up for questions if you're okay with that. Anybody can answer questions if they want to. If there's anything major you haven't hit yet, um, you can hit it now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, happy to answer any questions. I, I, I want to give a shout out just like one more time to um, Adopt in Bitcoin. Come check out that conference. And the day before, November uh, November 6th, uh, we're having this unconference, so just look at our Twitter. There's there's plenty of information there, but it's going to be if you could make it, then it, you will you will be very happy that you came. I think. 
BJ, go ahead. Yeah, by the way, great work with everything you're doing in El Salvador, man. And uh, I envy you. I used to live in Latin America, and I quite love it. Uh, I'm actually coming down to El Salvador. I'm going to be speaking at Adopting Bitcoin. And uh, so I'm looking for a little bit of guidance because I've never been there. But just out of curiosity, what's it been like, you know, culturally with people there? Like, what's what is their thoughts about a bunch of gringos coming down? Uh, out of nowhere and investing in their country and wanting to educate you and all that sort of stuff. What's the reception been like? Yeah. So there's always, there's always like edge cases. Um, so I can't say that a hundred percent of the people are going to, are going to be super happy about that. You know, there's that. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. But, but generally speaking, uh, people are, are quite happy about that. Like, uh, again, I think that, El Salvador as a country and Salvadorians as as a people are quite optimistic about the future. Um, and the fact that they see, like tourism is way up, right? Like El Salvador wasn't much of a tourist destination. It wasn't a destination for, you know, people to, to, to retire to, right? Um, that wasn't something that happened here. And that's, and that is starting to happen, right? Like, Tourism is way up and and people are looking to retire here as well. And generally speaking, people see that as they're they're almost proud of that, right? It's like, oh, you know, we're 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 a place that the world wants to to see now, you know, where that was <laughs> it was a place that the world wanted to avoid before. And like people are conscious of that. And I think for most people, seeing this influx of foreigners they connect with El Salvador uh, moving to a better place. So it's not like so it's not like people in Florida who complain about all the tourists, but forget to <laughs> realize they're the ones who fund the economy, right? <laughs> no, no. And and that's I mean, who knows what the future holds, right? Like, but um no, right now that that is that is not the case. I, I find so I've I've lived in Latin America on and off for, for most of my adult life. Um, and I find Latin America to generally be a friendly place, but I, I think, which is part of the reason why I've been attracted to, to this part of the world, but I actually think that El Salvador is, is at one end of that, right? This is just so friendly. And I live in San Salvador. I live in the capital, uh, you know, by far the largest city in the country, which tends to be the least friendly place, like the least welcoming place, like the larger the city, the more jaded people are and 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 people are very friendly here in san salvador um so i I think that i think that tells you something and and you'll see it when you're here for adopting all right uh any other questions for mr dennehy before we wrap here good morning lynn go ahead Good morning. Hey, John. Um, just the congratulations again on all the great work that you're doing. I was at the Bitcoin Black Party in Mexico City this weekend, and um, Andrew Howard made an announcement about San Miguel de Allende University uh, now requiring a Bitcoin uh, this is Wade. based on me. Uh, John, up in Alaska. Um, I just wanted to add that you know we're working constantly with people all over the world. And- Sorry, Wade must not be able to hear you, Lynn. Go ahead. Please continue. 
Okay, anyway, and so that's a public university that's now putting your program on their curriculum in Mexico, which is a great step. So just wanted to, to see if you had a comment how involved you, you guys were in making that happen or also just talk broadly about how your program is being used in other countries and other parts of the world. But again, congratulations on the great work. Yes, thank you, Lynn. Hello. Um, yeah, so that's that's super exciting. Um, so we've, and, and I think Bitcoin generally, has seemingly gotten a lot of traction in Mexico lately. Um, so we actually had, uh, we just finished, I, the, the guy who ran it for us came back to El Salvador this weekend. Um, but we had a uh, we had a project in Mexico where we taught the Bitcoin diploma at a university there. You know, we sent a teacher to do it. It was in conjunction with Indra Kempis, who's one of the senators there, who is now a candidate for president in Mexico. Um, and then a separate thing in November, I think November 13th, uh, then, yeah, we'll we'll start that um, the program at the university there that you just mentioned. And we will we will send a couple of teachers so they're going to use our material uh the bitcoin diploma which we've created which is open source but you know we have teachers who have a lot of experience teaching it um so we are going to send a few teachers to kick that off uh, i think it will last one month so november into december and then the idea of that is that they take it on afterwards right that it continues there but not with not with people that we send from El Salvador. It continues, it continues on their own. Um, you know uh, that that while we're there, then we help train teachers, like people who are there locally, um, to continue it. And and what one model that I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but one model that we've done here, as I mentioned, the guy who was a pastor who's now a teacher with us, is students often become teachers, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the what the follow-on will be there, but the basic premise is that we will help get it started and then they will take it over, which is something that, which is really the ideal situation for us, right? Like we want to help people get started, but we want people to do it for themselves. So this, this is a, this is a really nice mix of, of those two things. All right, Wade, you want to go fast? We're actually two minutes past our closing time, but if you want to be quick, let's uh, let's go. Yeah, I just wanted to add that the build-out that me Premier has is phenomenal. We're, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to get in with uh, me Premier a while back, and Gabe from the Bitcoin Veterans was able to get in, and you know, we're working with people all over the world. So what you're focused on today, it seems like it's more the the national side of El Salvador, but we're constantly on calls with people from all over the world who are teaching the course. So it, it's it's really amazing, the build-out. Uh, John is just, uh, he, he really built something that's that's going to last. Yeah, thank you, Wade. Yeah, and, and uh, so Wade is, Wade is in Alaska, and I think just yesterday, then there was a, a course that started in Argentina. Um, last week, it was Dominican Republic and Cuba. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a great point, Wade. This is, this is, you know, again, our, our focus is El Salvador, but the mission is the world. Um, and there's been so much, 
so much progress, so much development internationally. Again, like it surprises me every day how 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 much enthusiasm there is and how many, you know, it makes me optimistic for the future, right? To be like, oh, there's these great people in Alaska and these great people in Cuba, these great people in in all different parts of the world. Um, so yeah, that's uh that's something that that we want to lean into more and more going forward, hopefully starting with the with the unconference on November 6th to to really make that a moment to put gasoline on that fire. Yeah, Bitcoiners are maniacs. They're some of the most passionate people. Decode, I'm sorry. We're out of time, brother. Uh, so hopefully next time. We're going to wrap seconds. with that. No, I got to go. I have meetings, bro. I got I to gotta go. I'm sorry. Uh, thanks for being here. John, appreciate it. Um, and all the speakers that are on here on the regular, appreciate all of you guys. Next week during Pacific Bitcoin, no Pacific, uh, there's no Cafe Bitcoin on Monday or Tuesday. We're resuming on Wednesday, which we'll be doing probably from the hotel. And then we're going to be doing Cafe Bitcoin live from the Swan Dome, both Thursday and Is it just me or did we lose Alex? Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't hear that last part either. Uh, it's all right. Yeah, Alex is. Uh, I guess. It, I guess it crashed. Well, um, John, I want to. As Alex was probably going to say, say thank you for joining us. Do you? Um, do you have any final comments before we wrap the show, or uh, just um, you know, thank you again for joining us, and I hope that uh, the event goes very well. I know a lot of people will be down in El Salvador already, so going to be a, a great turnout i'm sure yeah 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 and and thank you so much for having me and, and letting us talk about this um I, I really think that independent impartial community-led bitcoin education will change the world um so yeah really really happy to be on this mission with with everyone here and yeah please please just follow us uh on on twitter on on other socials it's my first bitcoin underscore Okay. Yeah. And anybody that's listening to the podcast, we will have links to that in the show notes. Um, and thank you again, man. Really excited for you to join us again, probably in a few months and hear some updates that's uh, going on over there. But um, to wrap up the show, like Alex would say, uh, thank you for joining us tomorrow. We have Craig Raw with Sparrow. So that's going to be a really exciting show. Um, also, Bitcoin veterans will be recording tomorrow night uh, around 7 p.m. So be sure to check that out. Uh, Pacific Bitcoin's coming up. Go to the pleb party if you want to hang out with Alex. And if you really want to hang out with Peter, I think he's going to be there too. Dom should be there. It's going to be a great time. And uh, just really appreciate everybody hanging out today. Thank you for the crew. Ant, Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked, Dom Bay, Producer Jacob. Uh, Alex is your awesome host. And um, speakers, thanks for hanging out. Get on the mission, guys. Have a good day and questions.